Hey guys, welcome to the Mag Life Podcast. I'm here with Brian Nelson. I, I was going to introduce him as like the match director for Red October. Uh, this coming up, Rifle Dynamics is putting on, but there is so much more. Brian, who are you? What do you do? So uh, I am the match director for Red October 2021, and I, I was the founder of it back, I don't even remember the first year, I think it was like 2016. Uh, in addition to that, I work at a company called Scoring Technologies. Uh, so I actually work for, if you're familiar with Practice Score, uh, it's the company that develops that. I'm not a smart enough person to be put in front of a computer to run any code. You wouldn't want me to uh, because you probably like your software to work. But uh, I serve as the marksmanship subject matter expert for another military program that we are running for the Office of Naval Research. So my day job actually involves a lot of being around mostly Marines, but other services as well. Um, in, in their marksmanship training and in their marksmanship qualification. What we do is uh, related to making their qualifications faster, more efficient, easier to run through electronic scoring, just like we did for competitive shooting, as well as enabling them to utilize both time and accuracy in their qualifications and training. So yeah, similar to what we do in the competitive shooting world in IPSC, USPSA, 3Gun, uh, making that something that scales for the military, for law enforcement, uh, to be able to run like 200 people and know what everyone's individual shot times are. So that's that's kind of what my day-to-day is. And many years ago, I was in Quantico for a little bit, and and I there was a couple of people that I knew from different shooting teams and stuff that were on them before that I wasn't on the teams. I shot intramurals and stuff down at Paris Island years ago, but but I, I knew a bunch of people in the shooting community in the Marine Corps, like the, the competition side of it, mm-hmm. whether it's uh, service rifle matches type stuff. Or uh, we began around that time, uh, the combat shooting team, where they would go shoot three-gun yep. matches and everything else. And uh, they were doing that to learn a lot of things and, and to, to take a lot of things back to, you know, the infantry side of things and, and training side of stuff. Before the show, we were just talking about, you know, what you're doing in that. And, you know, we were planning on talking about Red October, and we'll get to all that stuff right here. But this stuff is super interesting. Like, what has the Marine Corps learned from competition and how are they now implementing that into uh, to making better warfighters? Uh, so our role is a lot of um, a lot of it's simply doing what they ask us to do, uh, and a little bit of informing. Like not everybody in the Marine Corps marksmanship community, like gunners and uh, in training education command, maybe necessarily know exactly how to use time and accuracy. But the the crux of it is. Um, Basically, if I if I want to predict uh, lethality, I need to know the exact you know amount of time it takes for a marine to get a first round hit or to get a hit, not necessarily even a first round hit, just what the time is to get their first hit. Um, so that's a lot of the things they they are interested in when we run um, events. So we're supporting two big things for the Marine Corps. One of them is the rollout of the annual rifle qualification, the new uh, course of fire. So for the first time since like 1910, I think they're actually, they've made a major, major change to the annual rifle qualification Marines shoot every year. It used to be something called ART, uh, the annual rifle training. And that was a lot, it was like, like a version of service rifle competition with bigger targets. Um, And it was sitting, kneeling, standing, 200 yards, slow fire, back to 500 yards. Um, They've changed that now to a different course of fire and they want more, a more easy look at the scores and what's happening with that um, to, to be able to, to see, hey, how many experts, sharpshooters, marksmen, how many people are un, uh, unqualified on this yeah. uh, course of fire, as well as like if you've worked the pits in a Marine Corps rifle range, you, you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, you may not know uh, to some extent kind of the level of like 
I don't want to say chaos, but um, there's there's different like you're dealing with paper score sheets currently. Um, it's very analog. Yes, like uh, I think that the course of fire hasn't changed since 1910, and the scoring mechanism hasn't changed since 1911, maybe. Um, but it, that's not true. The, the score sheets are different. But um, yeah, you're dealing with a little little strip of paper like this big, and dudes are like taping it up to the berm. Um, and trying to keep track of it. So what we're finding is using electronic scoring just to keep track of scores, it, it makes it much easier, right? Because uh, it's a, another common thing from the competitor shooting side. A match isn't really done. Even though everyone's done shooting, you don't, you don't have a match. Therefore, you don't have a qualification until you have everybody's scores. Well, what, I had, what had to happen beforehand and what still has to happen officially is, um, you know, you take a stack of papers for the whole unit this big, and someone has to hand jam that into like an Excel spreadsheet, and then you'll know, yeah. you know, the scores. Um, well, with electronic scoring, I have the score on a device, and I sync it over Wi-Fi, and now I have all the scores. And it took like the time it took to enter the scores initially on the electronic device with with paper. There is the official method, um, but when we've run it as a as a test, I don't know if people realize how significant that is. It's yeah. The time save, the, the the people involved, the everything else, but also the accuracy. You know, the accuracy yeah. of, of the scoring. Marines always have integrity, right? But there, you got some people who who have hooked their buddies up down in the pits. You know, a little bit. And pit love. There's yeah, yeah. There's a little pit love down there, and and give them that. They they jam that that little spindle into uh, the black part of the target when maybe it didn't hit the black part of the target. Sometimes you know, and that kind of stuff. And and personally, I. Marksmanship's always meant so much to me in the Marine Corps and and even now, you know, just having the skills and, and everything else. I've kind of lived my life around it in a lot of ways. Uh, having people cheat in that has been something that's always really pissed me off because then they're going to be more competitive for promotions against people who aren't cheating, who actually put in the work. And I, I just despise that kind of stuff. So, like, having extra security managers against that, they can't be argued in that way. And uh, I don't know if it addresses that a whole lot or in detail, but I'm hoping uh, it does. Um, we also take a picture of the target every time it's scored. So, um, which is actually for a, for a few reasons so that we can go back. Um, it's, it's actually something that we, we did as part of, um, another project that I'm not sure if they want me to talk about, but, uh, and most of the time I can't talk about, if I say I can't talk about something, it's not anything super cool or crazy. It's just, I'm not sure if we want to put that out there, but, but we do take a photo of it and that, that ended up being something that was like people were really excited about for, for, for partly that same reason, uh, whether, whether people are getting help from basically like pit love, right? So someone marking a target incorrectly on purpose or not, whether that's a data entry or whether, whatever, if you have anything that looks edgy or weird, you can just go back and look at the photo and see, Hey, is there a bullet hole here? Um, or if we can't remember what the score was, like just cause someone forgot to mark something, which like you get, you know, however many people are down in the pits, however many people are scoring on that target front, like you're just going to have people would have human problems, data entry errors. So we can look at the whole target and say, oh, hey, there's a hit in the destroy zone or there's a hit in the five ring. OK, well, great. Or, oh, no, there's not. The best thing we got here is a on the ARQ target, it's a neutralized or on the table one target. It would be we got a four, we got a three. OK, and I can use that to reference and, and score that target correctly just because now I have a record of it. Uh, that's on the ARQ side, and that's really just um, the benefits of electronic scoring are are, are very but are, are many. Um, data entry errors go away with the photo; you have a record, and it, it just takes away time and effort, uh, which is one of the first things, one of the biggest reasons we did it for competitive shooting. Um, 
But then on the other side, we're supporting the schools of infantry, both on the West Coast and the East Coast, um, in the new Infantry Marine course. So they're taking the School of Infantry, which was previously a seven-week course. They're doing pilot programs now that are 14 weeks. So it's uh, more breadth and more depth for what an entry-level Infantry Marine is getting for their training. And that includes the marksmanship side of it. Um, they have two different courses of instruction, but either way, the way they measure marksmanship is something called the IMA, uh, which I think stands for the Infantry Marksmanship Assessment, but I always just call it the IMA. That sounds like something we would call something. I mean, it's you're assessing marksmanship for infantrymen, so uh, it's, yeah. it's, just, it's a good little initialism, abbreviation. But um, that is entirely scored like the same way that we would score a IPSC or USPSA match. It's points divided by time. It's not your standard qualification where you have a par time of 10 seconds and you have to shoot five rounds and then you know the only real separator is the score, the actual score on target. Here in the IMA, your score is the amount of points that you shot divided by the time it took you to shoot it. So, and depending on distance, that places the priorities in different areas. So part of that test is shooting at seven yards, you know, six rounds on the chest area of a target and you get points for you get five points for hitting the destroy zone, which is roughly eight and a half by eleven. Like you can simulate it fairly well with a piece of paper. Um, but then outside of that, you have like you know you can think like the C zone on an Ipsic target if you're familiar with that. Um, you get two and a half points, um, and it's it's highly speed dominated at that point. Like yeah, anyone can shoot six rounds and hit an eight and a half by eleven piece of paper at seven yards with a rifle. Like just about anybody can do that. But where you see a separation is, hey, by the way, the amount of points you score are divided by the time it took you to do it. So, you know, if you took one second per shot, you, you know, you're going to get smoked by the guy who's able to execute marksmanship fundamentals yeah. of stance and trigger manipulation and be able to do 0 0.20 for every shot. He's just, he's just not even close. Whereas before, we would have to set a part time that we thought was reasonable and then have everybody shoot it. If you're setting a part time that's, you know, reasonable at that distance... You can't really enforce it if you're using a stopwatch or if you're using a, a shot timer with a part-time built in. Um, whereas, you know, for us, you can run it individually with a shot timer, with a conventional shot timer. Or uh, another thing that we're working on for solutions is concurrent timing. So it's legitimately like if I have 200 people on the line next to each other, this isn't this isn't reality now, but pieces of it are. Um I can I have a way to time and establish the actual individual shot times for every one of those people uh, without having to do like that's like it, the what we do conventionally what I'll do in a in a firearms training class and what we'll do in a shooting match like it doesn't scale when I have to do training for a whole company of Marines right because shot timers are acoustic right so if you have two people shooting next to each other we don't know what time is whose right uh, so we have to at, you know you can kind of get away with some separation on the range but it just doesn't scale when you can only run one, two, three people at a time. Whereas uh, what we're working on is, no, 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 you can run 20 people at a time, which we have done successfully. Um, you know, up to, you know, you can run 50 people, 100 people, you know, and and be able to have a qualification that is not just based on accuracy within a time standard. It's actual, it's points divided by time, which is, if you look at, you know, just measuring fundamental marksmanship skills, um, the best shooters are going to be, you know, grandmaster, world champion, IPSC, three gun competition shooters. They're like, and that's just the world that we live in. It's, it's uh, points divided by time. 
it's we've proven that that's the best way to make a high caliber shooter. And now we can take that and put that in the hands of, you know, the entire United States Marine Corps, hopefully. Like that's maybe that won't happen. Right. But it's it's a it's an innovative research uh, project that we're we're doing. But at the basic level of um, infantry Marine Corps training, now that is a test that is being run for like all of them. So. I mean, as a as a leader in the Marine Corps, I'm thinking, like, how can I use this to inspire my guys to train more? How can I use this to to see where deficiencies are? You know, like there's there's so many things that this is going to do for the Marine Corps uh, in a broad sense, but I think also down to like the individual platoon and maybe even squad and fire team level that uh you know like most lethal fire team most lethal, like there's so many ways to do this that i think the marine corps has always done a really good job of you know you know being in the marine corps maybe i've saw more than like mo- most people see but um you know every day's a pissing contest every every day's a a, a dick measuring contest every day's something you know it's like it, and having one more thing for uh bragging light right especially something martial like uh like marksmanship and, and fighting people love incentives like when you have a bag of Skittles for the guy who has the highest hit factor on the on one part of the uh, IMA, like, hey, this is just a bag of Skittles that the best shooter gets. Like, it's amazing to see what people will do for that, right? Uh, is this a 10-year-old expired bag of Skittles from MREs, or did you just get this at the gas station today, right? I don't think I've opened an MRE in, like, I opened one when I was, like, nine and ate it and don't know why I did that even because it was, I knew back then, like, this is horrible. Um but so, yeah, if I'm bringing it, it's it's a bag of wildberry Skittles from like a 7-Eleven. This is a surprise. Like, I didn't expect uh, this to go there in this conversation when we first started, uh, even before the uh, the podcast. Like, man, we got to talk about that. That just sounds awesome. I, I knew the Marine Corps had the new annual rifle call, and we were doing all these things. And I read an article about it on like task and purpose or something mm-hmm. uh, a few days ago. It was more about the conduct, the, the distances and ranges and everything else. And yep. I had no idea the technology involved. And uh, I mean, I... This is awesome. There's so many great things, and I, I love that they're doing this. You take and you know the reason you're the company you work with and the things that you do, and then the training side of the house because you you teach as well. You're kind of really well suited to be a an awesome match director. You've got Red October coming up, and that's your baby. So uh, tell me a little bit about Red October and what makes it awesome. So it's just um, to me. It's, it depends on what your perspective is on it. It's one of the things I have to look at uh, Red October and kind of take myself out of my own perspective a little bit. Um, why I like Red October, there are going to be some pretty fun marksmanship challenges, just and that's something that I personally enjoy. And it doesn't matter if I'm doing that with an AK, an AR, or like I shot cowboy action. That's how much I'm into just shooting guns and um, yeah. interesting marksmanship challenges. Um in addition to like, it's a place where if you like AKs and you are an AK nerd, which I kind of am, but like not nearly as into AKs as the people that, that shoot Red October or as a lot of them, um, you're going to get the opportunity to also connect with the AK, the, the little little part of the industry uh, of the gun industry that deals with AKs. Like just about everybody that is anything that does AK related stuff is going to be there demoing. Um, and there's just a certain ambience, like honestly, the stages that we're going to have and the challenges we're going to have are just fun. Like the, the, this is not something I've heard another match director talk about, um, before, but the way that I try to design courses and stages for the match, 
uh, I play through like the campaign mode in Call of Duty from like every and I look for like, hey, that was fun for me to do with a controller. Like, what if we actually just like did that with guns? You know, that's uh, so if you like that, uh, that idea of, hey, I get to do like some simulated cool stuff and be measured and scored on it. And I get, you know, marksmanship challenges. Um, and it sounds like the- it's not very static. Like there's a lot of yeah. movement going on. There, there will be a lot of movement. Yeah. I mean, the stages, it's not, so if you're not very familiar with the competitive shooting side of things, like it's not just drills. I, there's, yeah. there's no standardized part of the competition. I'm designing the stages like uniquely and differently every year uh, and building them differently with different challenges, different, you know, different kind of stuff. And uh, you know, to, some of it's, you know, some of it's stuff that uh, maybe probably won't see anywhere else uh, just because it's, it's also like, you know, I, I'd start thinking about, hey, uh, you know, beyond just competitive shooting, um, like, and it's it's a it's a broad base of uh, things that I base a Red October stage on. Like, yeah, you know, you might have to shoot like, you know, you, you might have to shoot a stage gun, which is something that used to be more common in three gun and kind of went away. So it's, it's a gun that's provided on the stage uh, because we have the opportunity. Those maybe machine guns. Oh, you, yeah, there's, uh, yeah, that doesn't even, there's definitely going to be machine guns at Red October. Although I actually, uh, so I don't plan on having machine guns as part of the stage props this year, like as part of the course fire. But that's also because you don't need to shoot one on the stages. There's just so many machine guns around. Like, you know, yeah, we're going to have PKMs around. We're going to have, you know, but full auto AKs, like, of course. Um, and uh, so... Uh, on the stages themselves. Yeah. I'm not going to have a full auto partly because that does increase the ammo count that I need to provide for that gun. Yeah. Uh, And it increases the risk that something kind of goes wrong. So my philosophy on stage equipment like that stage guns, uh, number one, it does have to be at least mostly fair to everybody where, you know, I'm not going to give someone like, uh, I don't know, you know, if you're left-handed and you have to shoot this gun, I don't need it to like completely handicap and cripple the way that you shoot. You know, if you're left-handed and shoot an AK that you built to be run left-handed, I don't want to make you shoot an entire stage with a right-handed AK and just put you at a disadvantage because you were born unfortunate um, and wrong and incorrectly handed. Um, Totally makes sense. (laughs) So, uh, but then, so that's one. They have to be fair. But then the other thing is they have to be cool enough to make it worthwhile. So, like, you know, there's nothing wrong with shooting a Wazer 10 as a gun. It's a perfectly fine gun. But, you know, if I give you... Which one you get, you might get an awesome one. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, not a washer. Again, I'm not. That you might you might get a terrible one too. Yeah. Like washers are notorious for being great or bad. You know. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, but you know, the seven six two, a plain iron sighted seven six two AKM with a slant break, like it's cool in that it's a cool gun. I would want one. I have one, right? But I don't really need to make you shoot the whole stage with it because that's not really all that interesting. However, like that changes if I can say, yes, you know, the two stage guns that we're, that I'm planning on using in the stages this year, like I've got a dragon off, uh, which, um, you know, that's a, that's a cool gun to AK nerds. It's not an AK. Oh yeah, I, for sure. You know, but, uh, and I don't say AK nerd pejoratively either, by the way, I'm going to say that a lot. I'm referring to myself in there too. Um, but people like the dragon off because we can't get them here. Right. Well, you know, um, Battlefield Vegas is is uh, a big partner with us this year for uh, stage equipment. They're also bringing a tank, uh, T sixty two, and they'll be doing a presentation on that. So it's it's really cool. Uh, the tank is not stage equipment. It is uh, no, it is not going to be stage equipment. Uh, well, it might be. I'm not sure how they want to do that because it's going to be driving around. Um, oh, 
So it, it will be parked up by a stage is what, is what I'm understanding. But there, there's going to be a presentation of it um, and some, some pretty cool stuff. Like that, that tank, I got to go out and ride around in it um, at Battlefield Vegas. They're, they're like little satellite fob outside of Vegas. And it's just cool. The, the history behind that tank, it's one of very few tanks that are in the U.S. that we know have a provenance, a, a Soviet tank that was actually used in combat in, in two wars in the Middle East. Um, oh, wow. So I'll let them tell that story. That's part of their presentation. It's going to be at noon every day at Red October. They can drive the thing around. I think they're going to be doing some blank firing with it. Like that, that gun has that that tank has a fully functional main gun, um, and they have the ability to make live ammo for that main gun. So we're, we're not. I don't think we're going to be able to shoot live ammo at Pro Gun Club. Right, my tank nerd in me wants to know what model it is. If you know, yeah. Well, if, if you uh, come if you find come out, that <laughs> you. Um, You'd be able to hear much more about it. it I think it's super cool. Um, and if you don't think it's super cool, then I think there's probably something wrong with you. You're, you're probably a little bit broken. But um, anyway, Battlefield Vegas is uh, helping us with stage guns. So, yeah, we have a couple of Dragonovs. We have one Dragonov and a backup for the Dragonov. Um, it's going to be zero, and it's going to be a part of the stage where it matters uh, for score. It's not like it's going to be anything particularly onerous. Like, I'm not expecting you to make a 1,000-yard shot with a Dragonov um, because... That's not really even what that gun's necessarily for, but you know, hey, here's a Dragonov. You got to make some hundred-yard shots that kind of help you later on in the stage, right? Uh, so you have the opportunity to use a precision, a precision, you know, designated marksman's rifle to hit a couple targets at a hundred yards. And if you can't hit them with that because your fundamentals were poor, like I make sure the gun's zeroed, you you don't execute the fundamentals for some of those shots, then you just shoot them with your AK. Um, so the, it. It, it's a cool gun. It has an impact, but it's fair. Um, and if you don't know how to use a Dragonov, then, uh, well, it, it does work like an AK. So it's not like it's any specific, crazy, different manual arms. Uh, another one of the stage guns... AK gal figure it out real quick. Yeah. yeah like, you know, it, and if you're not... Uh, well, the, the other uh, stage gun that we're going to have is not a Soviet gun, but it's just something I thought was really cool. Uh, we're planning on having an M79 40-millimeter grenade launcher. Um, because... I always thought that that was cool and something we could play in really well in a scenario driven like, yeah, this is a Vietnam stage. You shoot your M79 and then put that down and pick up an AK. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Stuff like that. And I think we're going to have an RPG trainer this year. I need to talk to Rifle Dynamics uh, in the short term about that. So it's an RPG-7 with a 7.62 by 39 millimeter uh, training round or training uh, adapter. So it has the same trajectory as a actual warhead from an RPG-7. Yeah, I shot it uh, out at um, right, yeah, uh, back in July or yeah, when I was out there doing the build class. Yeah, they had, and then they have so many cool guns, and I don't know yeah. what's going to go out there at the match, but uh, if they have a lot of machine guns for people to shoot just to have a good time, the some of the guns that Rifle Dynamics has, yeah, like the history of them, so they have some guns that are just there. There's very few of them in the country. Yeah, very very rare. Some of them. I'm sure Battlefield Vegas has some cool stuff too. Yeah. Like Vegas is an interesting place for me for like the gun world. Um, there's just so much rare stuff in there and so much cool stuff for you know people to come in and hang out in Vegas and they go jump into all these ranges and places that do the machine gun shoots and Battlefield Vegas and everything else. Yep. It's just it's like a mecca for the gun world, but people don't even realize it. It's like the mo- it, it's weird that people don't realize how much there is out there in Vegas. When I tell people about all the gun stuff out there, like it is, it's like Disneyland for guns. Yeah. Really yeah, is. absolutely. And so that's um, so that's actually one of the things that uh, I get asked about, because when Red October started, uh, it was at my home range in my hometown where I live in St. George, Utah. 
Um, and so last year, well, yeah, last year we had to cancel for COVID concerns and the governor of Nevada being, um, yeah, basically, yeah, COVID stuff. Right. I don't want to talk too much about that because <laughs> people get mad about it and there's no reason to, um, to talk about it. There's, there's plenty of reasons to be mad. Oh, I don't, I don't hold back too much on, on the ridiculousness in the world today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. but 2019 was the first year we ran it in Vegas and uh, that was not not universally well received uh, versus St. George. Just the, the atmosphere is a little bit different. But that was that was more on me in the designing and layout of the range. Uh, so we're making some changes this year to to make it more similar to what we'd have in St. George, where uh, you know vendors are kind of in one area. You don't have it's not as spread out. So if you shot Red October in 2019, um, we had the idea of intermixing uh, vendor and regular stages. So. You know, there's a lot of our vendors and demos going on all the time at Red October. And so what we tried to do was kind of mix in the stages with the vendors and have it all where you, you kind of went everywhere to see everything. Um, and that, that led to a, a couple of issues on the timing front. So um, one of the things I, like I put out uh, in the email for uh, the last email update for Red October is, you know, I was thinking back on the last five years of running this thing. And I can't remember any time where I've actually set like a timeline. Hey, we're going to have this done by this time and actually met that timeline. Um, it's which I think is kind of funny looking back on it. It's never fun when it happens, when that when that happens. I mean, Red October is always fun. But um, that was one of the reasons why we kind of blew past the timeline then is, you know, the stages are pretty spread out. People have to get to a different area and get past vendors and stuff. Uh, and some of the vendors like didn't necessarily get a lot of uh of general foot traffic. So all the vendors are together and all the mm -hmm. stages are together uh, this year because we realized it, like we kind of don't need to uh, try to make people go to the vendors and go past them in the same way that like for, for a USPSA type match or a three gun match, when I design that schedule and layout, um, there's a lot of people who are just kind of interested in shooting the stages because vendors are rare uh, a little bit in a three gun or USPSA match. Right. Um, so it's not why you go there, right? If I go to USPSA Nationals, I'm there to shoot stages one through 18 of the USPSA Nationals. And, you know, vendors aren't really something that are necessarily part of that. At Red October, I realized that like, oh yeah, half the reason to come here is just to see all the cool AK stuff in addition to shooting a fun match. So I didn't have yeah. to design a range around like putting a vendors in front of the shooters so that they would walk by and just, you know, see something cool and stop. Um, so that's what we're doing. Pro Gun Club's huge too. There's there's so many options for things to do out there. You know, it's a it's a nice range. Getting back to the original point though of Vegas being a mecca for gun owners, like, you know, uh, I had some people ask, hey, can we move it back to St. George? We really like that. And like, I don't think you understand the things that we have at our disposal in Vegas. Like the first year, we didn't we didn't even this year. I don't think we're fully maximizing everything that we can do uh, with the entire like resources of the gun industry just and the AK industry that's in Las Vegas where this is at most a 30 minute drive to pro gun club. So it's a little easier for pro or for uh, battlefield Vegas to trailer a T62 there versus, you know, Hey, we're going to put a T62 on a trailer and drive it, you know, through the Virgin oh, river. So it's a T62. That's it's 62. I love Vegas anyway. You know, I, I'm not huge in like gambling or a lot of the nightlife stuff around there, but there's just so much energy there. And I, I, I always love going out to Vegas. Yeah, and and to be quite honest, if you're if you're running something where you really value like being easy to get to, just in terms of getting there from anywhere in the country, right? So, so I, I I've had to go to uh, Camp Lejeune now for work stuff uh, like five times this year, um, 
I've had to drive three of them, by the way. That was fun. Um, <laughs> but the uh, flying from here, from where I live in St. George, Utah, uh, to Jacksonville, North Carolina, is a literal, like, entire day affair going from regional You're airport. Landing in that little tiny airport out there. OAJ, right? Outside of, yeah. Um, and then if you think about it, like, okay, think about how much easier it would be if I didn't have to make that last regional connection. Right. So, you know, flying regional, regional, I got to do, do a regional flight to from St. George to Phoenix. And then I fly from Phoenix to Charlotte. And then I have to fly from Charlotte to Jacksonville. Yep. Um, and if you think about like, if most people don't live in a city or a big, you know, area with a good airport, like you know, I like to say that, Hey, if you need to get to Las Vegas, it's like $300 from anywhere, you know, and that's, that's like half of the price for me to fly from a regional to regional. So um, it just makes it more accessible, which is kind of another goal for Red October. That's why it's also a two-day match. I could fit more people in. We could do a lot more if the shooting schedule was Friday, Saturday, and Sunday because we would have a full extra, you know, you know, full extra day to put in challenges and stages and cool stuff like that. The problem is that also kind of selects and limits people out from being able to go because it requires you to shoot on a Friday which means you got to travel on a Thursday and get back on a, you know, on a Monday. Yeah. It's and it. That just doesn't make it as accessible for people to shoot. And that's kind of like kind of been our goal the whole time is this is a thing that you can just take your AK to shoot. None of the challenges require, you know, a precision rifle. None of them require, you know, match grade ammunition. Uh, and it doesn't require a whole lot to get to uh, Vegas to shoot. So if you're going to run an event, something like that, it's that's why you kind of you go where the ranges are. But if you've got a good range in Vegas, like. Let's do that. And then in addition to that, you have all these resources for just making a cool event. You couldn't do, you know, really anywhere else. There's not a lot of places uh, unless you had like su the support of the DOD where you can say, yeah, there's a bunch of, you know, tanks and AFDs yeah, you're not getting all that. and stuff on a range other than basically the tourist industry in Las Vegas, Nevada. Yep, absolutely. No, it's a great place, man. And I, I, I hope it's an awesome, successful event this year. Hey, let's shift gears a little bit to the uh, – I want to talk a little bit about, before we finish it up, like what you do in training. I don't know this because we've never talked about this before. In fact, we just met, right? But yep. the uh, I, I really – I'm wondering what you do uh, – one, where can people find you to go train with you and look at what you're doing? But also, how much does technology – uh, that you the work things that you're working with and uh, the measuring of time and, uh, and accuracy and all that – how much does that play a role in the training that you provide for, you know, military or armed citizens? Uh, so actually, as it happens, my um, I should have mentioned this when I talked about training. Most of the training that I do is uh, just for military units, partly because uh, my work schedule is kind of so crazy that I, I can't really plan on being anywhere on a given weekend other than massive events where I say I have to be at Red October because I have, you know, a big commitment. Yeah. Um so the training I do for military units, though, and if I do run a class for armed citizens, we do use um, we use the technology just because there are things I think you need to measure, like time and accuracy is so important that if we are doing a test, there's, most of them are going to be based on time and accuracy, some type of time and accuracy, accuracy scoring. So um, the company I used to work for uh, that I still help with part time, we sold it uh, a couple of years ago, is a place called Tactical Performance Center, and uh, just... The things that we use there um, are scoring. It's based on time and accuracy. And we use uh, currently practice score, P-R-A-C-T-I-S-C-O-R-E. Um, people say like practice score, and that's that's not really it. So um, 
it was an unfortunate choice of names that stuck. But <laughs> yeah. we, we use that just because it's the easiest and best way to measure uh, measure a time and uh, time and actually based drill. That's something that you can download. Like we don't, you know, that's something you can download right now on your phone if you have an Android or an iOS phone um, and use and just start playing around with it. And it's free. It's something we did so that match directors and club directors could have a tool. But in training, it's also something that, that, that we do use. Um, for my training classes, uh, we do use them as an opportunity for testing of the scoring tech stuff. Um, so you'll see like, you know, the last four classes that I've taught, we used some variation of concurrent timing successfully where like if you've been to a training class where they run you individually on a shot timer, and, and I don't know that most people have because I don't think that's as common as 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 I always kind of assume it is because all the training I've done has been with people who share the same values. I see it in like one or two drills on occasion, you know, yeah. like it's not common. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's, it's just something like, you know, the people that I've trained with the organizations I've worked for, we're all competitive shooters. So it's just something that's like, it's kind of like, yeah, of course we do that. Um, but I, I realize it's not as common yet uh, because it's like, you know, the experience of, you know, if you're running a build drill, for example, right, something real simple where it's one target, you've got a, a target for every shooter and everyone's just standing in a line and the instructor goes down the line with a timer. Right. Uh, and I've got, let's say, 12 shooters in the class. Um, now, instead of running through like three strings of build drill for 12 people, you know, which is a lot of standing and waiting. Now, as an instructor, I gain like 30 minutes back from running that oh, drill. Yeah, No, it did. that's why a lot of us don't do it, because it takes so much yeah, exactly. time. You know, the first time I did it with concurrent timing, uh, running three strings, it's a, it's a drill we came up with called TPC 24. It's, it's real simple. It's a four by eight rectangle at seven yards. You present and shoot eight rounds to it. And you do that three times. It's just a, basically a stance grip, like fire control exercise. And the first time I ran that with concurrent timing, the first reaction I had was, well, okay, what now? Like I'm used to this taking like a half an hour. I didn't plan for this being this efficient. Yeah. This took me like three minutes. Like, well, this is cool. What do I do next? You know? Um, so that's, that's what we do uh, for the technology in our class. And um, uh, right now it's still kind of in its infancy where we do have functioning, the, the, the ability to do it. Um, but we're still finding bugs. I mean, it's still, it's still a piece of software that's under development. It's still a, you know, um, prototype, but uh yeah, that's it, it has changed how I do things quite a bit when I can look at and say, hey, like uh, one of the training courses I assist with for the Marine Corps um, is uh, it's it's the whole like it's predicated on having a pretest and post test. You start off, uh, you're, you're partly establishing a baseline. So it's a, a real simple pretest. Or if you're if you're really into shooting, you'd look at it and say, yes, this is a very simple pretest. Uh, but it does require a shot timer to be run for everybody. And like the average class size that we have for that is like 25 people. So if I have to run 25 people through three one-shot draws, three build drills, three shot-to-shot reloads, like it takes two hours to do. Um, yeah. And uh, so, and then you do that again for rifles, you can take 10 minutes. Run legitimately losing a day. And then with rifles, you also have like shooting at hundred yards and 300 yards as part of this course. Legitimately, we just basically write off the first day as we're doing a pretest. So if I got, you know, in that case, I got 10 training days. I have a pretest and a post-test. I really only have eight training days, 
know, I've lost a fifth of my training time. With concurrent timing, if I can run everybody at the same time, and essentially the pre-testing only takes the amount of time it takes to run one shooter, you know, it takes me like an hour to do both of them. That's awesome. So that's that's where it could affect uh, how I do training. Like when, if I'm doing a, an open enrollment course or if I'm doing a contract course for a military unit, like, you know, mostly that's a five-day course or a three-day course, right? So we don't have a lot of training time to spare. Uh, I don't run a pretest in it for the most part because we've already established that you want to get some training. You've already paid me to come in and, and do the training. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I would love to do more pretests, but it just takes so much time. Exactly. Right. So I can, I can look and say improvement, you know, here versus here, you know, yes, I can say that, you know, as a whole, we got better and, you know, and the more that you do it throughout a course, the more clear a picture you have of improvement too, right. Rather than just looking at two snapshots in time, we don't know exactly what happened. Like, oh yeah. And on the pretest, I just got the Johnson Johnson vaccine like two hours beforehand. Like that's going to skew the results. Just saying real things that I've seen in classes, you know, right. Um, so it's not like it's saying, you know, obviously this is where you started. This is where you're at. Oh, look, we're that much better because of the training. But, you know, being able to test more frequently just gives you a better idea of improvement, gives you a better idea of how good you are. Um, so running pre-tests and post-tests now, if you have concurrent timing, makes it, you know, makes it a thing you can do all the time. You know, and, and it's not a huge ordeal or uh, or anything like that. Sounds like you could even drop in a test in drills and they don't even know they're being tested. Yep. Like with that's cool too. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's the, our, our so goal much to work with. Sorry. There's so much to work with here. Like yeah. things there. It's, it's one of the things that uh, it's, it's actually been pretty uh, it's like I last Thursday was the first day off uh, that I've had where I wasn't traveling uh, since like August 3rd or something like that. Um, so it's, it's been quite a bit of time and quite a bit of, uh, of travel. I don't mind that at all. It's been awesome because like I, I am legitimately excited in my day to day, like, oh my God, I can look and see that, you know, you, there, it feels a little bit good to have an impact on, you know, what the Marine Corps is, is doing, of course, which is assuming that it will, like there's, you know, there's, yeah. there's no guarantees that anything that we're doing is necessarily going to be adopted for mass use or anything like that. Um, Hopefully it is. But even beyond that, like, holy crap, the ability to give every firearms trainer, like, even if they're not a competitive shooter, to get them using time and accuracy, like, that makes a big change in the marksmanship community. And it makes everyone better at shooting, which it's it's just one of those things that um, shooting is a fun hobby for me. But it's also something that I think, you know, if you if you if you do it, you should be good at it. Right. So if you carry a concealed pistol, you should be legitimately good at shooting it. If you mm -hmm. believe that the Second Amendment exists for you to to be the well-regulated militia or the regulating force on a standing army, you know, however you choose to interpret that, well, it's kind of like, yeah, you should also be good at it. And we make people good by uh, measuring marksmanship skill and fundamentals through time and accuracy. So making that something that's available and easy to use, uh, something that scales up to run in for, you know, 100 people, that's, you know, that's really exciting to me. Yeah, no, I mean, this to me too. I think there's, and I can't wait to see where it goes. I mean, this is just kind of the beginning stages of, of that kind of stuff, and there's so much room for growth. So, and I, I look at a lot of things like that in the gun world. Like a new gun comes out, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm really excited about that, but that is so different, and there's enough innovation in that that this is going to spawn something else. You know, like somebody's going to take this and run and turn it into something else. So in five years, we're going to see something that is good, 
that was based on this idea, you know, and and like not saying what you're doing right now isn't great because I mean people have been using practice score now for like ever, you know, like that's I, I, even when I was shooting matches years ago we were still had practice score, yeah, uh, but yeah, so uh, man, I I think it's awesome, and I I would like to see come back on and talk about this later on, like how it's developed um, as it does continue to develop a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, I think. Uh and I come in a little bit better prepared with what I can and can't talk about and show, can and can't show. I'd love to do that. Um, we we kind of didn't talk all that much about Red October this time either. So I know we didn't. We were planning on talking about Red October, but man, this one it stole the show. I, I hate to do that too because uh, uh, Red October is really um, we've got some things planned. Like we talked about the tank, we talked about the stage guns, and uh, and but also talking about some of the challenges and things you can expect for that um, this year. I think it's also going to be like. 2019 um, stages for Red October, in my opinion, were kind of where they hit the peak balance of where they were doable for everybody, but they weren't excessively timed. Like the first couple of years of Red October were me adjusting to the fact that most people there were not competitive shooters. And yeah. so if you're not used to some of the things that we do in a three gun or in a USPSA match, like the level of difficulty and things that um, like the perceptions that we had were completely different on what was challenging and what wasn't. So, um, and that was fine. People really loved it. Even though people got like the majority of people, the first couple of years of red October, like they got their asses kicked by the stages. Um, cause they were hard and they were, they were like, you know, AK people like it like that though. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, so, you know, yeah, that's exactly what you want to have. The, the, the issue there is, so at a certain point, it does get to where people think that they didn't even have a shot, that it was just designed for, yeah. you know, some things are undoable. Like, uh, have you shot, I'm sure you've shot the MGM uh, spinner target. It's like a, uh, it's a 10-inch plate on the top and a 12-inch plate on the bottom. There's an axle about. Yes. rotate thing all the way around. Like, we've used that. Yeah, I see, like, the stars and twice. all that. Yeah. yeah. We've used that twice in Red October. And it's interesting to me that there's a perception by a lot of people there that it's literally not possible with a 5.45 gun. Uh, which, yeah, I made kind of the same face, but then I realized like, yeah, you're not used to having to make a shot right now, which is what you have to do to spin that target. Anything except, well, with anything to some extent. Um, but if you're shooting like a 30 out six, 308, 762.54 R, uh, you got to hit the thing twice. Not that big a deal. If you got to, if you're shooting a five, four, five, you got to shoot it seven or eight times at the right period of time. Now it takes me like 10 seconds to do that. And then, you know, I watch people like, oh, they're not used to having to make a shot right now. And, yep. you know, they're missing a lot. So it's uh, it's one of those things where the first couple of years, like real long stages, um, really hard challenges. is a lot of fun, but it also um, like, you know, had to finish under headlights because, you know, it, it's also, you know, match directing is a big circle of time. Right. So if there's eight stages and you're all running like stages one through eight, you have one big circle where if there's at any point, like a stoppage in that circle, everything backs up behind it. And you've just got this massive backup backup. Once you unkink that, you get the accordion effect. We're like, Oh yeah, now we've got to really start pushing people through fast. If we're going to finish this match at all. So the first couple of years were pretty bad for that. Um, and my favorite is always the shotgun start. Like yeah. go, go hit all the stages. You know, I don't have to wait. I don't end up waiting in long lines. I can hustle through, you know, like I, I, I always love shotgun start matches myself. Yeah. So this is, uh, and that's, that's another thing that, I, that, that it was the, uh, the adjusting to people who aren't competitive shooters. Um, the first, I think three years of red October might've been the first two years. 
we had um, rigid scheduled squatting, which is what you'd normally have in any other match, right? So, hey, you're on squat one, squat two, three, four, whatever. Start on that stage at 8 a.m. and you're going to go, you know, stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four. As a squad, when you're done, you move. Um, that's typically how it works. And then realizing that um, people wouldn't stick to their schedule or stay in their squad because they didn't really even like know that they had to necessarily. Yeah. Or, you know, hey, there's something like, yeah, I put a hard challenge in a match. One of the reasons why I, I said earlier that I've blown every timeline I've set for Red October within the match is because we put in interesting, interesting challenges. Like I get to do this and I get to have everybody shoot this thing once a year. So like, yeah. and, and you're going to come out and do this probably once a year. Now there's more AK events out there like Kalash Bash, Thunder on the Tundra, um, and a couple others that I'm forgetting. It's weird that I ran the first big AK match in the U.S. and I've never actually shot an AK match. Um, but you know, like you're going to get to shoot red October once a year. So yeah, like there might be some places where you have to wait because the timing didn't quite work out right. There's a delay here. I didn't anticipate, but it's because we're trying to give you a challenge that, you know, you're not going to get to see anywhere else. You know, you're not going to get to do, you're not get to have measured. Um, but when people are waiting for that, they just figured, oh, okay, well I'll just go shoot. Like, I'll just go shoot like stage six now or something. Right. Um, so what ended up happening was this squatted like matrix that I had, you know, the spreadsheets of it, it takes this much time to complete a stage. Everything rotates at this, like that's immediately shot to pieces because half a stage, uh, half a squad three is over on stage seven right now. It's just because they're like, yeah, we're sitting over here we're not doing anything else. Let's just go do that. And that's happening all over the place. So I, I, I got rid of the squatting matrix that I had because there was no way I could maintain it anyway. It was uh, just kind of crazy. So the last three years now, we've done uh, something called open squatting. Uh, the first year we did that was 2018, and it didn't really work out. It was a very qualified success. And by very qualified, I mean everybody finished the stages, and that's all I can say about that as far as success. There was a lot of waiting. It didn't really work that clean because I basically just said, hey, at 8 a.m., everybody go shoot your stages. Just do whatever, right? Um, and that didn't really work out. <laughs> that was a, maybe, maybe a little... Uh, went a little too far the other way with no control whatsoever. But you got some data. You got some data. You guys got yeah, data back in. Point, right? So I say it was a qualified success in that everyone got to do. Uh, on your left and right lateral limits right there. Yeah. There you go. So uh, 2019, I think, was the most success that we've had in terms of scheduling and squatting where it's a controlled open squatting. So you're given there are essentially four schedules. There's eight stages. Uh, basically, what that does is separating into two loops also. So. In terms of timing, instead of one big circle where if there's a backup on stage two, stages, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, and one, eight and one are all waiting on that backup to be gone. I separate into two areas, stages one through four, you shoot. Uh, and if you're on, you know, there's a schedule where you shoot stage one through four in the morning or you shoot stage one through four in the afternoon. And it's the same thing with stages five through eight. But within that schedule, I don't care when or where you do it, when or how you do it. So if you want to start on stage seven and shoot seven, uh, seven, five, six, and then eight, because, you know, that's just where it seemed like it worked for you because you like those challenges or uh, that was just the time where it looked like, hey, there's a big line here. I'm going to go find a hole uh, to, that's open to go shoot in, you know, then feel free to do that. But you do that in a certain area in a certain time schedule. That worked out pretty well last year. Uh, in terms of knowing when, like, and then on the match director side, what I found out in 2018 is, oh crap, I have no way of knowing who's done and how they're done or who's just decided like, you know, they've had enough fun and, and isn't, and aren't going to, not even going to finish. Yeah. 
which is another thing that was weird to me, but it, it does happen in Red October. People are like, yeah, that was fun. You know, they shoot like five or six stages and, um, and then decide to not finish, which is a weird thing to me because to me, a match has always been a, a, a match. It's a whole series of stages. Like, yeah. But if you're going there just for the entertainment value because you get to shoot at a, you know, giant steel tank silhouette with an RPG trainer, then, yeah, I want to do that. You know, this other stage doesn't look so, like so much fun. I guess I won't do it. Um, which, yeah, yeah, different goals, you know? Yeah, cool. Hey, go out. You know, I, I, you're going out there, you're shooting under a shot timer, you're being measured, you have a score, right? Um, so to me, you know, you're far, far, far ahead in terms of like if we're viewing this as a martial pursuit, you're far, far ahead of everyone who didn't do that at all. Uh, and if you don't, well, shit, man, you just had a lot of fun. Like, cool. Yeah. It's awesome. People, I see people on the internet all the time, especially in the training world and stuff too, like bashing people who are all, they just dress and they don't, they, he's an accountant. He's just trying to play fantasy man camp or something. Like what better hobby could a person have man or woman citizen of the United States of America than going out and having fun, getting a little more well-regulated, running guns, being held to a high standard of safety and being pushed for accuracy and speed. Like, this is a great hobby, whether it's competition or taking a training class. I don't care why you're there, right? Like, it, if it, unless it's, like, nefarious reasons. Uh, welcome. Glad you're here, man. There's no better hobby to have out there. Yeah, one of the best reasons that I, I don't – I think we don't use enough, and I don't know why, uh, for, for a lot of things in life, in, in the shooting world or not, like, you, you know why? Because I want to. It's fun. <laughs> it was cool. And then uh, by the same by the same token, like – Hey, why aren't you out competing? Why aren't you out shooting a match? And people come up with all sorts of reasons. Why don't you want to go to a training class? Well, I don't have nine millimeter. Well, you know, the time, I just don't think yada, yada, yada. Because I don't want to is a perfectly valid reason. Like yeah. it's kind of the premise of yeah. this, this whole, this whole thing that we're in here is, uh, I get to do things because I want to, and I get to not do things because I don't want to. I really enjoy shooting matches. It's fun. Uh, it is a lot of fun, but I, I enjoy other things too. And in my priorities of things to do on the weekend, when I, after I work all week with guns and everything else, and you know, I'm teaching a class some weekends, going and waking up early and going out and shooting a match does not sound as fun as hanging out with the wife and kid doing something or something else. Like I, I put something else as a higher priority. doesn't mean that's not a priority for me. It's just yeah. something else that gets to be a higher priority for it. Well, and beyond which, and it, it also goes back, feeds really well into the, to, into my day job is, you know, also like, I try to provide, like I actually look at it, uh, something I've learned is look at the shooting versus everything else ratio in a competition. And so it's one of the things where I say competition has a massive training benefit, but it is not in and of itself training or practice uh, if you're trying to get better at shooting. Do the math, right? So um, the last time I shot a USPSA match, a local USPSA match, six stages, and it's, our local club is great for USPSA club. But I did the math and I like I don't think any stage took longer than 30 seconds and I did six of them. So I spent three minutes or less shooting and I was out there for, you know, four hours. Right. So that math, like you have to be a little bit. The cost benefit is not there if you're well, not enjoying it, it. The cost benefit is not there unless you realize like, yeah, cost benefit in terms of just shooting for training. Now, what you are also going to get, like it's not just, you know, oh, yeah, you spend uh, three minutes shooting for four hours of taping and resetting and stuff like that. That's true. But you also got to hang out with, uh, people who were of a like mind. So it's not like it was just terrible. Uh, the whole time you were there, you weren't suffering, uh, well, you weren't. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons why people don't come back to shoot competitively also is because that ratio wasn't there. And the people that they were with just were not, 
like worth spending the time with to paste and reset. Um, it's not that it's a bad thing about the competitive shooting. I'm not trying to you know be negative towards anything, but right, like that's one of the things we need to realize is people may not like to go out and shoot because they didn't want to spend four hours with those people taping targets in order to shoot for three minutes. There are people who like, yeah, I'll hang out for four hours with these guys to shoot for like 20 seconds total or not shoot at all. I'll just hang out with my buddies for four hours, you know? Um, But, but the ratio isn't quite there. And that's one of the things that I also, you know, hopefully scoring tech is able to kind of change by making just some things concurrent, right? Like, um, and then, you know, making it so that, uh, making it so that it doesn't take four hours to shoot for three minutes. Um, Red October, that ratio, I try to keep it, uh, a little bit less, uh, I'm sorry, a little bit, you know, definitely more than you're going to shoot for more than three minutes, um, at Red October, like to- in, in totality. Um, and, and shooting is also a little bit like golf and that the whole goal in golf is to do the golfing part less, like swing the club less. So, you know, the better you are, unfortunately, the more this ratio is against you. Like you shoot for less time, but you're always still there for the same amount of time. But yeah, Red October and in general, what I try to do is look at the the ratio of the amount that you're just there, taping targets, resetting, doing whatever to actually shooting. I try to make that a pretty good ratio. Um, and I, I wish I could remember what it was. Uh, we, we just, uh, the last match that I ran was a, a match called the Hard as Hell uh, Two Gun. That was a two-day match, and again, it was one where uh, a, a few things kind of conspired to blow past most of my timelines. Um, if you look at it and like, yeah, people ended up waiting for a while, but the the winner of that match shot for like an hour in two days, like on the wow. top, like an hour, it, all things considered. And that was like the fastest dude. That does sound like a fun match. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I, don't, uh, I, I just got a few questions and messages about that uh, in the last week. And, uh, unfortunately I don't think I'm going to be able to do that one in 2022. Um, just because, you know, like I said, my work schedule for all this stuff, I really love it, but it does mean that I can't commit to, yeah. you know, the time to build a match. Red October is the one that I could commit to this year. Um, but it, you know, same thing with Red October though. Like you might think that you're waiting for a while and I try to make it not bad. I try to make things work in terms of timing and turn around for a shooter and reset. Uh, and there are, there are things to do there while you're waiting. Um, but you know, also expect to shoot for a lot of the time that you're there relative to the amount of time that you're working. Like you're getting, I feel like you did something. You're you're going to get your money's worth out of shooting part of it. Man, that sounds awesome. If people are hearing this and, uh, when, when this one comes out, we'll probably have, uh, just a little bit of time right before red October. But if they hear this thing and, uh, they want to go get signed up, you know, where they can find all that good stuff. If you're looking for sign up stuff, um, Unfortunately, this year, I think we're pretty much full in terms of shooting spots, but we also do have general admission. Like, this is the one thing where I look at and, uh, like, if, if I so- told someone that they could just come out to watch, like, the USPSA Nationals or the Hardest Hell 2 Gun or anything like that that I've done, I tell them not to because it's boring as hell to watch. Red October, you're going to get to watch some good shooting. Come out there. Yeah. But you're going to go out there and you're going to shoot, like, there's general admission tickets available, and we do that because, like, there's a ammo that you're going to be burning through there. Like there's, yeah. you know, it, you're, there's a lot of demo. There's a lot of, you know, machine guns, tanks, you know, it's worth going out there for. And that's uh, it pro gun club in Boulder city, Nevada. It's right near Las Vegas. Uh, it's the 23rd and 24th of October. And I think you can find uh, rifle dynamics.com slash red October. will take you where you need to go in terms of all the information. 
All those links will be in the show notes too, guys. For anybody who wants to check it out, I'll put it in there so you guys can click it and see. Brian, this was a surprise. I mean, I was already excited about Red October. You know, I, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm an AK nerd. I don't go all crazy over them like a lot of people. Like, if I had to deploy again to a war zone, I would take, you know, an AR, an M4 or something. But I still would not mind at all picking up an AK if I need to because I love running them. I love taking AK classes. Uh, I love the history of the AK. Yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah. Out there in, in Vegas with all the other cool stuff surrounding it and everything else, like, this is going to be a good time. Even if you don't like AKs, you will go out there and probably leave an AK nerd. So I've uh, never met anyone that that, uh, that didn't like AKs that also disliked a PKM. I'm just going to say that. That is true. Yes. And tanks. And tanks. Come on. Yep. All right, Brian. Thanks so much for joining me, man. I, I'm dead serious. We need to talk later on about this uh, Marine Corps stuff and everything. I am super excited about learning more about what they're doing uh, guys out there, oh, leave back up just a hair. Like, don't go anywhere yet. Don't don't press the stop button. Yep. Uh, Brian, Brian, where where can they follow you? Like on social media, so people can find you and, and check you out. So uh, probably the most active I am on social media is going to be my Instagram. It's just at uh, Brian Nelson Practical Shooter with a bunch of underscores. Sorry, um, it was not a good username choice, and I'll probably change that at some point. But uh, and and if you follow me there, like it's shooting stuff. There's not not going to be a whole lot of. Uh, of red October information. If you're looking for that, uh, definitely check the rifle dynamics dot, uh, dynamics.com slash red October. But for me, if you want to think, uh, see what I think about shooting stuff. Yeah. That's the most active. Uh, I do have some other resources on my own website, which is, uh, Brian Nelson shooter.com. I have some printable targets and I do plan on using that for some more content. That's long form, uh, like written out articles in the future. Uh, so that's, uh, probably the best place you can find me. And then if you are also interested, you heard about the time and accuracy based scoring stuff that I do for scoring technologies, scoringtechnologies.com, And you can email me at Brian at scoringtechnologies.com as well for that stuff. Um, and that's, if you're interested in that from a uh, military law enforcement standpoint, we're looking for, uh, agencies and units that want us to come in and, and, uh, help them with developing or measuring qualifications, things like that. Speaking of the writing stuff and everything else, just throwing this out there. It'd be really awesome if you came and wrote for the MagLife blog over there for us. Like, uh, I'll connect you if you're cool. interested. I would love to run your stuff. Cool. Brian, thank you so much. People out there listening, thanks for joining us. Hope you, you learned something cool, and I hope we get to see you out there at Red October. Um, and until then, the MagLife. <laughs>